Oh, man. So if you don't know, that is our children's pastor, Pastor Josh, who is hilarious all the time, and he's going to be our feature presentation for our CrossFit series. So good to have you with us. Who's excited to be in church tonight, huh? Yeah? Also, welcome to everybody who's joining us online, the hundreds of you around the globe who join us in the north, the east, the west, across the ocean, Scotland, South Korea, shout out, let us know where you're watching from. We're so glad that you are with us. Uh, and if you are here for the very first time, um, we believe church should be enjoyed, not just endured. Uh, and we, kind of like the teachers of old, we like to take modern concepts and teach timeless truths through them. And so we're starting this series called CrossFit. And this was actually an idea we had about a year ago and then COVID hit. So it's about a year later. And here's the irony of it, um, is that a year ago, um, I was convinced that CrossFit people were crazy. It was this cult. Like it was a gym full of guys who were like, do you even lift, bro? Um, and while I'm not entirely wrong, uh, I now have just started doing CrossFit. Um, I figured I'd wait till I'm 40 because why not? Everything's already broken. Um, but let me just tell you, so I just started a couple months ago. I really enjoy it. I'm terrible at all of it. Um, I'm not like, I'm not good at any of this stuff, but I'm really just enjoying getting yelled at and getting beat on every day. Um, so, uh, but, but the reason we chose CrossFit is because I want to talk about a series that kind of is in conjunction with some stuff we've been talking about, but it's really about, um, we're going to make some spiritual connections that also apply to the physical and, and, the, and, and the fitness world. And so CrossFit is a newer, kind of newer on the scene, but CrossFit is about whole body health. It's about fitness and nutrition. And the difference for me with CrossFit and the other stuff I had done in the past is when I would go to the gym, I would do the lifts I like, and I would avoid the ones I hated. When you go to CrossFit, you don't have that option. You're going to work your lower body, you're going to work your core, you're going to work your upper body, and definitely your cardio. Um, but here's the other thing that I love about CrossFit, and here's what I learned when I went for the first time. While I had been in sports, I had never done any of this. I was very aware that I was in out of my depth, and what I quickly found is CrossFit is for anyone, anywhere that they will meet you where you're at and create a win for you to find you in your journey and help you make goals that will help you become the best version of yourself physically. And when you look at the Bible, that's exactly what Jesus wants for you. Cindy just said it, Pastor Cindy said, Jesus wants you to be the best version of yourself. The more I find out what Jesus is about, I find out he wants the same things I do in this world and, and in my life. And so we're gonna use this for the next four or five weeks um, and, and we're gonna use some parallels uh, of, of CrossFit and we're gonna, but also we have a really fun feature. We're not just gonna make spiritual par parallels, but um, uh, the, the GM of the gym that I go to has agreed to give us a little spotlight every week. So every week you're gonna get two to three minutes of health tips and training from an actual CrossFit coach. Uh, he's my coach. He is uh, also a part of our men's ministry team. And so I need you guys to give it up as we welcome Coach Eric. Coach Eric, come on up here. Yes, sir. So Coach Eric didn't know that he was gonna get WWE walk-up music uh, when he came in. Um, so Coach, you can just, yeah, you grab a box. I, wanna, I got a couple things I wanna say. So we asked the question, we like to do this uh, regularly on our social media, mine or the churches, and we asked some questions about when you hear CrossFit, what do you think? And so I wanted to show a few of the responses. Um, what comes to your mind when you hear CrossFit? One person put, nope. Um, one person put full body workout. Um, one person said, pain, not wrong. Um, this one was my favorite, heart attack. Um, uh, this one is what I used to think, it's a cult, but an impressive one. Um, and here was the one I liked the most, is this one said, 
It pushes people past personal limits they set for themselves, both physically and mentally, for a small fraction of the time during the day, resulting in a greater version of themselves. And that is honestly our goal by the end of this is not just that we learned a few health tips from Coach Eric, but that you understand what God wants you for you. And we're gonna give you some foundational, fundamental things in your Christian journey, in your following Jesus journey that I think will help you become the best version of yourself. So um, the reason I brought Coach up here and why we're gonna do CrossFit is if you're in that world, one of the big kind of rhetorics in CrossFit is called the WOD, the W-O-D, which is an acronym for workout of the day. So say WOD. So WOD, so um, the workout of the day. So each week, Coach Eric is gonna come. He's gonna give us a little WOD that we can do at home on our own, uh, some ways that we can maybe increase our health because as we just talked about, our bodies are the new temples of the Holy Spirit, right? And so we need to take care of the, the, the temple that God gave us. So Coach Eric, what's our WOD? Talk to us about this week, what you got for us. Well, thanks, thanks for having me, Corey. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, definitely, we look at that and he hit on it with CrossFit, yeah, it is a cult, but one you want to belong to, right? It's around fitness and nutrition, making sure we're the best versions of ourselves and stewarding that benefit. Let, let me ask you a question first. How yeah. long have you been in the health and fitness industry? Uh, a little 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been in CrossFit? Thir- 14 So years. the reason I joined CrossFit is he's actually 86 years old, and I just want to look like this when I'm, no, he, he's not, but he is older than me. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, go on, go on, go on. a decade. Anyway. Yeah, so we look at fitness and nutrition, and that's really what uh, our WODs are gonna be based around. We're gonna talk about, as Corey is talking about the, the, the basis, where's the jump off point, is nutrition and fitness, those going together. And we really don't partition those as much as we should in understanding that nutrition is the most important part. It is 70% of the journey in your health. So 70% nutrition, 30% exercise. Yeah, we worry about all this CrossFit, but it's really the hard part is the other 23 hours you're outside of the gym, not the hour you're inside the gym. So what your WOD, your workout of the day each day, because this is the hardest part, is your nutrition. This week, pay attention to what you're eating. Are you eating foods that you feel that are benefiting your health, your energy, and making the best version of yourself? And are you hydrating, right? And now we're gonna get into the easier part, the exercise. You mind helping me out? Absolutely. So you're saying for us, our, where we can start for those of us who are just beginning this journey is let's just pay attention to what we're putting in ourselves. Week one. Okay. That's it. So that's the nutrition. No diet. And lots, of, and lots of water. Word. Lots of water. Lots of water. Right. Lots of water. All right, let's do the exercise part. So, uh, so we're gonna go into a little bit of exercise. So... Corey, yes. the stud you are yes, coach. at the CrossFit. We're going to look at a little upper body. Push-ups, okay. right? Basic push-up. So his chest to deck, all the way down, all the way up. He's going to do 40 or 50 reps. Let's count them out for him. Two, three. No, just kidding. That's good. good. That's good. Notice that his chest to the deck, and then he's all the way up. Then what we do with most of our athletes when we start, because not everybody's at Corey's level, they're going to do a push-up on the box. So he's going to put his hands on the box. Chest to deck, now this might be the back of your chair, this might be your dining room table, this might be your workbench, but it's starting somewhere, and that's what's always important is finding where fitness is for you. So that's, now, my, that's my upper body. That's your upper okay. body. So can you grab that chair for me, Corey? Yes, sir. Yes, you guys ever use one of these every day, right? Sit down. Can you sit down for me? Yes. All right, can you stand up? Yes. All right, that's a squat. Great lower body, right? So sit down, stand up a lot of times. You want to add some intensity? We're going to take the chair. I'm taking the chair away. (laughs) Sit down, stand up. Now, if you want to go beast mode, you want to add something like maybe a gallon of water, a small child, something that you want to lift up and down, that's fine. You can add intensity to that. Our final piece is our core. So if you can go ahead and relax, go ahead and lay down on this nice mat we have here. So sit-ups. Notice his arms are extended over his head. 
touching his fingers behind. He's going to sit all the way up, touch his feet. He's going to do a couple of these reps. Now, not everybody's at Corey's level, right? So what we want to see is maybe you're just sitting up to touch your knees. Or you have the other piece where we take that chair. Thanks, Corey. And I'm just sitting on the edge. I'm leaning back, getting my feet off, and bringing my knees into my chest. This is just the jump-off point. We say find fitness where you can because, again, we want to steward that gift, that temple God gave us, and say, okay, well, I'm going to pay attention to what I'm eating, how much water I'm drinking, and my fitness. But finally, and I know you said cardio, right? I actually like cardio. You like cardio. That's a runner, right? I hate running. Run when chased, right? But no, finally, that could be you guys walking for 10 or 15 minutes a day. That's your wad. Just get physically active every day. The exercise we showed you, 10 to 15 reps, a couple sets of those, one, two, three times this week, and just start to pay attention. Are you physically active? Are you active and paying attention to what you're putting in your body? So what I hear you saying is this week, you want us to pay attention to what we put in our bodies, drink lots of water, do something upper body, something lower body, something core, and a little bit of cardio. And if we do a combination of that every day, we're beginning the journey to a better version of ourselves. Amen, brother. Coach Eric, everybody. Thank you. Don't worry, it'll get, it'll get worse every week, I promise. So, uh, so part of the idea of this is we're gonna have a workout of the day. I will tell you that at one point in this series, um, we're gonna do kind of an interview podcast style bonus content where we can dive into some of this. So if you're wanting to grow or, or learn more about this, we'll do that offline. But every week, two to three minutes with Coach Eric that we can implement in, in our own lives without having to have all of this stuff or a rope that hangs from your ceiling. Um, now, along with that, we're not only just gonna have a workout of the day or wad, but we're gonna have another wad each week. And these wads are very... Uh, maybe traditional Christian words or church words or even Bible words that we don't really use in everyday language. But if you're going to follow Jesus or you want to know what it's about, you kind of at least have to know and understand the concepts of these words. So not only are we going to have a workout of the day, but we're going to have a word of the day. And before I tell you this word, and each week is going to grow on itself. And so um, we're going to build in, in order. So I hope you're able to join us all the weeks. Again, everything's available online if you're not. Um, but here's what I want to, before we even start, I feel like I have to say this because today's going to get a little bit crazy. Um, I want to ask a question that somebody asked me a long time ago that really helped me to open my heart and mind to learning more about God as a boy who had grown up in a certain denomination or a certain style of church. Is it possible that there's more to God or more to the Bible than I am currently aware of? Yes. Is it possible? Yes. Is it possible that perhaps not 100% of everything I was taught by a well-meaning church or a well-meaning man actually lines up with the Bible or the life of Jesus? Is it possible? So if we can say yes to both of those, I think we're gonna be open to maybe hearing some new information or different information or being affirmed in some things like, oh, I already know that word because I wanna introduce some things that maybe like, wait, 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 I wasn't taught it that way. And in our church, we're very interested in two things, the life and teachings of Jesus and what the Bible says. That's it. Church traditions don't really motivate us that much. If you want me to tell you offline why, I can tell you why. But to quote uh, Lord of the Rings, men above all else want power and money, and that's gotten into the church. Uh, so we're really interested in the life and teachings of Jesus and the word of God. And around here we say, if you want to understand the words of the, the Bible, you have to know the world of the Bible. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. So this week's wad for us is a, a simple word, but we're going to kind of take a maybe a different approach and go, I'm, I'm just going to invite you to consider this concept, and today's wad is salvation. We gotta start with salvation. Oh, coach, I forgot I even brought my headband, but I forgot to wear it. Should I just preach in it for a little bit? Yes. 
course there is. Best $15 I spent in CrossFit. So I'll do this for a minute, and then you got to take me serious, if you can. Salvation. So salvation at its simplest core is this. I'm going to give you a definition. Today's word is salvation, and salvation is simply this. The saving of human beings from death and separation from God via or through Christ, Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus sacrificed his life, went on behalf of us, and because of that, anybody who receives that into their life gets to experience this thing called salvation. Now, with this said, there's a lot of ideas and concepts to this, and so I want to, um, I want to address something uh, about this, uh, and we're going to start... How do you gain salvation? First is, how do I even get it? Well, first of all, what, what, what some of us probably would do well to understand is you cannot earn salvation. You can't be good enough. It, we have a, in our Western modern world, we have enough people going around, I'm a good person. Um, yet we find out no one can really be good enough for salvation uh, because most of us probably make lots of mistakes every day. And so the apostle Paul, when he was explaining this concept to the new group of Jesus followers who didn't know the Jewish tradition, in Ephesians chapter two, he writes it like this. He says, here's how you experience salvation. He says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. That word faith means a trust, a trust in something. He says, and this is not by your own doing, it is actually a gift from God, not a result of works. So it doesn't matter how many spiritual pull-ups we can do, we can't be good enough. It doesn't matter how many spiritual push-ups we can do or how many times we're good. It says that only, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. God wanted to level the playing field that it didn't matter how good or bad you were, how, how male or female you were, how rich or poor you were, how black, brown, white, yellow you were, that the, the playing field was level and that there was only one person who could achieve this and it was Jesus. And it's for everyone who would accept Jesus's life into their life. Amen. So that's how it's gonna work. So how do we take the first step? So first of all, I wanna, go, I wanna give a few misconceptions of salvation these are all backed up biblically. I don't have time to break this down, but I want to talk about some misunderstandings or misconceptions of salvation that we see are backed up by the Bible and that we see that are backed up by the life and teachings of Jesus. Number one, that salvation is just some way saying some magic words. If you say some magic words, then somehow magically you just have salvation. It reminds me of probably my favorite clip from The Office. I declare... Bankruptcy! Hey, I just wanted you to know that you can't just say the word bankruptcy and expect anything to happen. I didn't say it, I declared it. Still. Well, salvation is kind of like that. There is a verbal expression and a prayer involved, but just by saying some magic words doesn't mean you absolutely have attained a bankruptcy because along with that comes this idea of fire insurance. Uh, and if you think about insurance, flood insurance, fire insurance, um, uh, the, the funny thing about that is we don't really think about it that much, but we just sign something and pay a little bit just in case something bad happens. Salvation isn't, I said some magic words, I can live however I want, it's fire insurance for whenever the, the doomsday comes or the, my, I meet my maker. So it's not just fire insurance. Um, and here's a, here's a fun one, depending on your, um, your upbringing, but uh, here's a misconception about salvation, that is, is that it requires baptism. I, that's hilarious to me. That is hilarious to me, by the way. Now, baptism is an important part. <laughs> Y'all forgot we have screens, yes. Uh, <laughs> Baptism is an important part of faith, but baptism is not salvation. Here's how we say it around here, and here's what's backed up biblically. 
Baptism is the wedding ring of salvation. This ring isn't what makes me saved. It's not what makes me married. What makes me married is a decision and a commitment I made a long time ago and a decision to continue to be faithful to that commitment. This is a symbol that publicly tells the world I belong to Rebecca. But this doesn't make me saved. This doesn't, this doesn't make me married. My vows and my commitment do. Baptism doesn't make you saved. It's just a, it's telling the world I belong to Jesus. It's an important thing. Jesus did it. Uh, here's another one. This will be really fun. Uh, another misconception about salvation is that you can never lose it. Yay, are we having so much fun in church? Amen. And let me just pose this question. Ba- salvation is re- requires your free will to accept something into your life. So if, if we can't lose it, why is it then if we receive it, all of a sudden we lose free will to ever walk back out? If you can walk into heaven, why can't you walk out of heaven? If you can say yes to Jesus, why can't you break up with Jesus? And so it's something that you can lose. And it, but here's the, the thing that you don't lose it by being a bad person. Because, and what was done in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 60s was we scared you enough with that if you did enough bad things, you'll lose your salvation. No, Paul just said it's not by work. So you don't got to worry about that. But you do have the free will to be like, actually, I tried this out and it's not for me. So you can lose it, but it's of your own free will. You don't like secretly lose like, oh, I crossed the sin meter and now I'm a bad person. Like that's not going to happen. So, and, and again, biblically, there's, there's examples of this. Jesus tells a story of a man who sows seed and some of it grew for a while, but then it got choked out and it died. Um, there was a rich young ruler who was following Jesus and then Jesus said something even tougher. And he's like, ah, I don't know if this is for me anymore. And so again, here's the, my whole point. Grace is required for salvation, but Jesus will never take away your free will. So last one is this, and this is where we're gonna tee off for a few minutes, that salvation is just for the afterlife that it's just about the afterlife, that salvation really has nothing to do with our life here and now. It's just for what happens when we die. While that is true, it also is true that it has everything to do, and I hope that today liberates us, and I think there's gonna be something in our hearts that goes, I think that's right, because it's gonna place a whole lot more importance and responsibility on the here and now, whereas salvation isn't just something for then, there, later, like a fire insurance. Are you with me? So yeah, okay, so... um, so first of all, we gotta understand salvation is all about Jesus. And so we're gonna look at the life of Jesus and I wanna kind of bring this uh, to life. Um, and here's what I wanna say. Maybe you grew up believing this. This is what the outside world thinks that the Western Christians believe. This is what we think, is that in the beginning um, was created the earth, right? Okay, there's earth. And then we're gonna have um, this time period. And here's you and me, here's us. We are created. And then we're going to live this life. And hopefully we spend more of our life on the good side than the bad side. We want to do more good things and bad things. Um, But we go through our ups and our downs and our ups and our downs. But then at the end of it, um, there's going to be kind of this fork in the road. And depending on something, you're either going to end up in one of two places, which is either heaven or hell. And this is what your neighbors and your coworkers think we believe. This is maybe what you grew up believing. I I, I probably believed this for a while, um, that you know, I kind of make a decision, whatever, and I hope I'll hang out up here more. And then at the end, I go to heaven or hell. But here's the problem with this. The Bible. The Bible is the problem with this story. And the life and teachings of Jesus presents a problem to this narrative. I'm not saying it's a false teaching, but it's just very incomplete. And so we want to complete it. And so this is what people think we believe. And so we're going to look at the life of Jesus and say, what does Jesus think about this. And so um, if there's a place in the Bible, Mark. Mark is the account in the words of Jesus, one of the Gospels. And we want to see what are the words Jesus said that may maybe improve upon or help clarify this. And so Mark chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can go there or your app or your U version. I'm also going to put them on the screen. Mark chapter 1. 
Here's what we know about salvation, and, and here's what we know about the life of Jesus, because salvation is all about Jesus. Mark chapter one says this, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this, the Son of God, uh, it is written, uh, the gospel or the good news, uh, my version says the beginning of the good news about Jesus, so that means Jesus equals good news, as is written by the prophet Isaiah, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord and making paths straight. So from the very beginning, we understand that the news about Jesus is good news. And so we're gonna find out in a second what the good news is. Um, and so what we see though here is that Jesus is plummeted in the middle of a story that's already being told. Hundreds of years before, this prophet Isaiah predicted some things and he's saying this was projected 700 years ago and now Jesus is here. That's what Mark is saying. And so, um, so he's saying that the Jesus is here now. This is the good news. And there's this other story being told that we're kind of midstream about. So um, we're gonna jump ahead a little bit to, to Mark chapter uh, uh, one down to verse 14 and 15. Let's look at this, what it says. So we know that Jesus, Jesus came, that Jesus was predicted. There's some other longer story being told. Uh, and apparently um, Jesus came to maybe address some things, uh, resolve some things that were a problem. And so um, what did he come to do? Mark's gonna answer that in verse 14 and 15 uh, as we jump ahead a minute. It says, after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, uh, he was the one who came ahead that Isaiah predicted. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the what? Good news. And here's what Jesus said. So if we ever wanted a candidate for what's this all about, here it is right here. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus is saying through his words that something is happening here and now. Jesus isn't saying, hey, good news. If you survive long enough on this side of the line, you'll end up in the good place. He's saying, I have really good news and the good news is here now. And the good news is that the kingdom of heaven is here. And what, what we see in the life of Jesus is that in Jesus's mind, the story of, of what, who he is and what he's about is about the gospel. And it's not about us going somewhere later on, but it's about something coming here now. Amen. That's, that's where this starts. And so uh, it's about God doing something and Jesus saying, hey, I have really good news. I've seen some issues with how you guys do this thing called life. Um, you you kind of messed it up when you had your own free will. I gave you autonomy, you seized it. Um, but now I'm gonna bring the kingdom of what? Here, the kingdom of heaven. So this isn't just something we wait for. This is something that God's like, I want it here now. So this is already happening. What's the good news? The Bible is about what God is actually already doing in our world here and now. And here's the problem with this story. What's, what's the story of the Bible all about? If, you, if I had to tell you, give me, give me the story of the Bible in one word. What's it really about? God. Love. Love's a great word. God. It's a story of God. Here's the problem with this narrative. What's the center of this narrative? Me. This is a very me-centered, modern Western way of thinking that it's all about me, it's all about me. Like that's, that's what it is. We change the words. And this focuses on me and my behaviors or me and my beliefs about certain words that are ancient Hebrew. And if I do it good enough up here, I can go that way at the end. And Jesus is saying, no, it's about I, my kingdom, my reign and my rule are here now. And I, he even prayed, my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, exactly. Are you guys with me still? Yes. So Jesus came to address some things. He came to resolve some things. And so, ready for this? Heaven is not just or not somewhere you go when you die. It's something that arrived in Jesus. Yes. 
How do we know that? What he said in Mark 1.15. He says, I have really good news. What's the good news? The kingdom's here. Well, wait, I thought the kingdom, I thought heaven is where we go when we die. No, no, he's like, I brought it here. Like, you guys messed this up. I'm gonna get it right. I came in love. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I'm gonna do it. That's what he came to do. And so um, there's a great video by the Bible Project guys that really, really explains this kind of historically. Uh, it's about five minutes long, and they sum up so well in five minutes what I wanna say in like 20 minutes, so I'm just gonna have you watch this video. So in the Bible, the ideas of heaven and earth are ways of talking about God's space and our space. So I understand our space really well. We live here. There's trees, rivers, mountains. But my understanding of God's space gets a little fuzzy. And what we do get in the Bible are images trying to help us grasp God's space, which is basically inconceivable to us. So these are two very different types of spaces. Yes, they're, they're different in their nature, but here's what's really interesting is that in the Bible, these are not always separate spaces. So think of heaven and earth as like different dimensions that can overlap in the same exact space. So we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die, but this idea of heaven and earth overlapping, we don't talk a lot about that. Which is kind of crazy because the union of heaven and earth is what the story of the Bible is all about. How they were once fully united and then driven apart and about how God is bringing them back together once again. So let's go back to the beginning where heaven and earth, they're completely overlapping. Yeah, this is what uh, the Bible's description of the Garden of Eden is all about. It's a place where God and humanity dwelt together perfectly, no separation, and, and humans then partner with God in building a flourishing, beautiful world and so on. But as humans, we wanted to do things a different way. We wanted God out and we wanted to create a world apart from him. Yeah, so we have these two spaces now. And the Bible actually uses lots of different kinds of words and phrases to refer to these two spaces to make a, a clear distinction. So you've said that these spaces can overlap, though. So explain how that works. Yeah, this is where we have to start talking about temples. Because in the biblical world, you experience God's presence by going to a temple. That's where heaven and earth uh, overlap. Now, there are two types of temples described in the Bible. One is a tabernacle, basically a tent that was built by Moses. And the other was this massive building made by Solomon. And these temples were decorated with fruit trees and flowers and images of angels and all kinds of gold and jewels and so on. And these are designed to make you feel like you're going back to the garden. And at the center of the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was like the hot spot of God's presence. Now we can go and be with God again. But not so fast, because the temple also creates a problem. So God's space is full of his presence and goodness and justice and beauty, but human space is full of sin and injustice and the ugliness that results. So how do these spaces overlap if they're so different and they're in conflict with each other? This was resolved through animal sacrifice. Yeah, that's kind of weird. What do animal sacrifices have to do with this? Yeah, the, the idea is this. Animal sacrifices, somehow they absorb the sin when the animal dies in your place. And it creates a clean space, so to speak, where you are now free to enter into the temple and be in God's presence. Okay, so if I'm an Israelite and I live in Jerusalem, I might be able to be in God's presence. But you said the story of the Bible is all of heaven and earth reuniting. Right. So we have to keep going in the story where we come to Jesus in the New Testament. And in the Gospel of John, we hear this claim that 
God became human in Jesus and made his dwelling among us. Now, this word dwelling is really curious. It, literally, it means he set up a tabernacle among us. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around, hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come and that his will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. And this is all really great, but it leaves one big question in my mind, which is, what happens when I die? Don't I just fly over to God's space to be with Jesus. Yeah, so a few times in the New Testament, we learn that Christians will be with Jesus in heaven after they die, but that is not the focus of the Bible's story. The focus is on how heaven and earth are being reunited through Jesus and will be completely brought together one day when he returns. So in the book of Revelation, we get this beautiful image of the Garden of Eden, now in the form of a city, coming to end the age of sin and death by redeeming all of human history in a renewed creation. And God's space and human space completely overlap once again. Good stuff, right? I love the visual because it makes sense for me. Now, let me break some of this down and, and, and explain some of this. And again, this is a four-week series because we can't cover all this in one week. But essentially what we see is from the beginning. And, and what I love about this is this is such... The, the whole story is such a more compelling story than just say a few words, get dunked in a tank, and then do your best until you die and hope for the best. There's, an, there's something that happens in us. And so we see from the beginning that God created this garden, and it was this it's perfection. If you see heaven and earth overlaying, and everything was perfect. But God gave humans his image-bearing. Uh, we were to help rule his world and, and create life in his world. He gave us free will, and we had the choice from the beginning. Are we going to trust God that he wants and knows what's best for us? Or are we going to seize independence and autonomy and live life according to what we see fit? And if you understand the story of the Bible, within the first three pages, we as humans, we basically, the story is how heaven and earth get ripped apart from each other. So they used to be together, then they get separated. And so, um, because we, and something went wrong. And it didn't go wrong because God made a mistake. It went wrong because we decided we knew better than God and we didn't think that we needed to trust him and our way was better. And, and again, we're gonna talk more about some of this stuff in the next few weeks. But our job as these dignified, image-bearing human beings was to help partner and rule God's good world. But something went wrong in us and now we have a problem and God wants to reinstate heaven and his kingdom here on earth. And so Jesus says, the good news is, I'm here, the kingdom is here 
now and you're invited into the kingdom. If we go all the way back to the very beginning of the story, the very first sentence of the book, it says that this, it says when God created everything, it says God created, and, and, and it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God created it, and, and it goes into detail for six days. And what did he think about everything he created? It was really good. It was really good until we got in the way. But what does it not say? Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and hell. It doesn't say that. Hell's real. Hell is evil. And in the, in the Hebrew, those words sin and evil and hell are actually very synonymous if you break it down because hell is when, we don't, when things don't go God's way and when evil imposes its will on our lives and there's an absence of God and how he created it to be. God hates hell, but God didn't create hell. So hell exists somewhere here on earth. And if you read the story of the Bible, you could probably, I would cost, maybe invite you to consider, we created hell. Every time we decide that we are gonna go outside of how God designed things, we create evil, we create uh, sin, we create hell. And because we define our world based on what's best for me and my tribe and my people, and God made heaven and earth, and he thought it was good. And so every time we decide we're going to live out, and God, and, and the devil, I'm sorry, and, and God hates hell because he hates what it does to the people that he loves in the good world that he created. And how do I know that, 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 this is, that hell is, is something we experience here on earth and not just something later on in life, as, as we, we've heard? Because Jesus' brother, James, who grew up with Jesus, knew him pretty well, wrote a book called James. Uh, well, we call it James. <laughs> And James uses this word hell as something that we can experience here on earth. And follow me for this for a second. James chapter three, verse six, he's talking about the importance of the words we use and the power of the tongue. And he says, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among its parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, how can hell set my tongue on fire if hell is some subterranean torture chamber in the afterlife. James, who grew up with Jesus, knew Jesus as good as anybody, saying, you can experience hell on earth. And some of you have experienced hell on earth. You've experienced pain and abuse and disappointment and grief and hurt and anything that was ever done that caused you to experience anything other than God's best for you, you experienced hell on earth. And guess what? Really good news. You can experience heaven on earth. And these two things collide here and they happen in our world. See, hell isn't just something that happens at the end of the game. Hell is present now. Hell is a reality that we as humans, and we've seen this throughout human history, unleash on each other and on God's world and we ruin and destroy it. Hell's something we created and God hates hell. And you know what, you know what God's mission is? God wants to get the hell out of world, the world. God literally wants to get hell out of your life. He hates it more than you. And here's, here's maybe something we can agree on. Maybe, let me make, make, make some sense because you guys are looking at me kind of funny. Could we all agree for a second that the sexual abuse of children for money is wrong? Thank you. Now, we have called it something better than probably it is because we don't want to deal with the reality, but we've called it sex trafficking. See, Jesus hates sex trafficking more than we do. Because see, our goal in our humanity is if we could just solve sex trafficking, that would be good. But Jesus says, I don't, I don't just hate sex trafficking. I want to help you with lust. He goes to the seed of it. Can we agree that the mistreatment of people due to ethnicity and gender is wrong? Yes, we believe that here at Cape Christian. 
We call it racism. We call it misogyny. There's a lot of names for it. Jesus hates it more than we do. We are trying to solve racism and social justice, and we're trying to save gender equality, and Jesus is saying, I need you to love other people the way I loved you. Our, all of our, I said this in our series in November, all of our social justice issues would be solved if we experienced biblical justice. Jesus isn't just worried about racism. He's worried about pride and greed and evil. And We have laws about fraud and stealing, and Jesus says, don't be greedy. Jesus wants to push hell out of his good world and he wants to push, and he's gonna do it, he wants to push it out of your life. And he does it to the extent that we open our lives and our heart and say, you come in and you have your way. That is salvation. And salvation starts this process that we're gonna talk more about next week where we say, I want the good, and Jesus said, there's good news. The kingdom is here now. And it was true then, and if you read the story on, he says, I'm gonna give the same spirit, so no longer the temple, but you get to be the temple, and I'm gonna push hell, I'm gonna push pain, I'm gonna push shame, I'm gonna push insecurity and comparison, I'm gonna push that out of your life. If you will trust me and my word and my life, you can experience salvation, not just at the end of the road, but you can help push hell out of your life, and the more that you have that experience with God, you will push hell out of his good world. And that is what salvation is, and this makes more sense, and I think there's something in our spirits and our hearts that goes, this makes sense because this is incomplete and it's just like, the rest of it is like, I don't know. But here, every day, every interaction matters. And the life and teachings of Jesus showed us that every person, every human, tribe, tongue, nation, every interaction matters. That it's not, because if you read the last page of the book, by the way, Revelation 21, he's, he's coming back here to establish, here's what's gonna happen. The kingdom is going to come, and he's going to heaven and earth are once again going to be joined. The Bible is a bookend of the same story. The garden is restored. But then we have a question. What happens here? What does this happen? Well, here's what we know. Hell cannot exist at the end where heaven and earth, and so God will always honor anybody who doesn't want to do things his way. He's going to love you. He's going to invite you. He's going to give you grace. He's going to give you mercy. He's going to try everything he can to convince you that his way is best, and he wants what's best for you even more than you do. But if you decide, no thanks, on this side of eternity or the other, there will be a place that will be, a, a, that will be absence from God's presence. And here's maybe just something to consider. We've kind of made hell into this torture chamber and subterranean worse how much worse does it need to get than racism and murder and violence and sex trafficking? Why do we need it to be worse? That's not the story. And Jesus says, I came. And the salvation is found, uh, as, as it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under the heavens or the earth by which men and women can be saved. And so how do we... Salvation is the wedding day. Salvation is when you say I do, you make the decision, I wanna be with you, I wanna start this. Nobody had each other figured out on their wedding day, you thought you did, and then you learned some stuff. <laughs> you still learn some stuff. Salvation is, I don't know this, but I want this, and it's saying, Jesus, I wanna believe that, that this is for me, I wanna trust that you did send Jesus, and you love me so much that you are willing to have already paid for every mistake I did, and not just in eternity, but actually wash away the, the, the shame and the guilt and the stain and the dirty, and the more you let Jesus into your life, he doesn't just want you to hope and wonder, he wants you to go, hey, let's partner in getting hell out of the world. I wanna get the hell out of your life, and I wanna get the hell out of the world. So perhaps, and I believe, that salvation isn't just about you getting into heaven, but it's about inviting heaven into you. And then bringing heaven to earth so that we can partner with God 
in this process, in my kingdom come, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I would, he would never invite it. We would never do it if you haven't experienced it first. And here's the people who are the best at this. The ones who've experienced this. The ones who have turned their lives over to Jesus and their lives were broken and hurting and shameful and the divorce and the death and the loss. And all of a sudden they experienced this. And that is a compelling story. And by the way, this is what an unbelieving world wants. They want this out. They want it to be a good world. This is what your neighbor wants. This is what your coworker wants. This is what your mother-in-law wants. Even if they don't think they believe in Jesus, the more they would get to see what Jesus is up to, this is what we want. And so my question simply as we close today is this. Have you started the journey into salvation? Have you received salvation? Salvation is just simply two things. It's a decision and a commitment. A decision and a commitment. Salvation is simply, I believe this story is true. I believe Jesus came. I believe that he loves me so much. And if you don't know how much Jesus loves you, email my office. I'll send you all the messages I told you about how much Jesus loves you. It's all I've been talking about for three years. And you open in your life and you say, you know what? I'm done calling the shots in my life. I want to receive. I'm gonna trust in him. I'm gonna go back to the garden where I'm not gonna define what's good and evil and seize independence. I'm gonna trust God and I'm gonna allow him to do this. Would you make that decision? It's like the, it's like the marriage. I'm not still married 16 years later because of a ring, but it did start the process. I'm still married 16 years later because I keep managing the decision I made 16 years ago and I'm growing into a better person, a husband and father. And so salvation, you don't have to know the whole Bible. You don't have to have it all figured out. My question is this, and I'm not asking this and we're gonna pray and we'll be done. I'm not asking, have you been to church? I'm not asking, did you grow up going to church? I'm not asking, were you baptized as an infant? I'm asking, have you ever personally invited Jesus to be the ruler and Lord of your life? If you have not, salvation begins with a confession, but it has to be something that's done in your heart. I can make vows to my wife, but if nothing happens in my heart, we ain't gonna be married very long, are we? So it's in our heart. And I, I have a, a, a passion to see this happen here on earth, and it's why I think so many moments matter, and it's also why. I think it's so important that we understand that it's not just a belief system. My, my uncle was my pastor. He always used to say this. You can sit in a chicken coop, but it don't make you a chicken. And he would say, you can sit in church your whole life, and it doesn't mean that you're actually a follower of Jesus. And maybe it's not just about getting to heaven someday, hoping I survive this hell hole, but maybe it's about inviting Jesus into your personal hell, and you maybe see if he can't do what nothing else has done for you that you've looked at in this world. If you need that salvation... I'm gonna say a really simple prayer and I'm gonna invite all of us to say it because nobody prays alone at Cape Christian. But, but it's not about if you say it, it's about if you mean it in your heart. If you wanna make the decision and the commitment to say, I need this for me, I need to, it's like, I don't know if I'm ready to work out. We're just saying, will you, go, will you just start? There's coaches, there's pastors, there's small group leaders, we'll help you. We're just starting the journey. And some of you, this is what you've been looking for your whole life. Not a religious affiliation but a relationship and salvation. And you watch what God does in your life as you invite him in and you trust him with your life. Bow your heads with me if you would. Do whatever you want if you're online because I can't see you. I'm gonna invite everybody to say this prayer with me, especially if, if you agree or mean it. Heavenly Father, I believe you sent Jesus for me in love to pay for every mistake I've made. And I believe Salvation isn't just about getting to heaven later, but it's experiencing heaven here and now. 
I invite you into my life. I turn my life over to you. I'm going to start to trust you. Be the Lord of my life. Get in the driver's seat. Call the shots. I'm going to do my best to do it your way. Push the hell out of my life. Let me experience your kingdom here and now. And as I do, help me be a light to others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we go, I would love to place a, a, a benediction over you, a blessing over you. May you, Cape Christian, experience salvation every day and every moment as you allow Jesus into the areas of your life that he has never been present before. And may your life be full of his love and his joy this week. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.